Hi ladies, welcome, welcome. By way of introduction, by way of introduction, before we get into our Parsha, I want to say three things by way of introduction. First of all, um, first of all, what we do here is we attempt to cover the Torah portion of the week. I say attempt because we're not very good with time and um, the way we do it, the way I like to do it is that we get a quick overview of the whole Torah portion and then we highlight a couple of things that are relevant to us, um, hopefully, in our lives today. Um, the the, the, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, told his students that you need to live with the times. And when they questioned what does that mean, that you need to live with the times, he said you need to live with the Torah portion of the week. And so one of the things I found, the more I get into it and the more I look at it, is really how super relevant it always ends up being for me personally, and that's what I try to bring to the. That's what I try to bring to the to the class. Um, the downside of our class, a, is that we raise many more questions than we answer, um, and b, it's a little bit shallow because it's a lot to cover in a short amount of time. Okay, now we are th- this week. We are here in Israel. We are learning the Torah portion of Balak, which is in the book of Deuteronomy. It is at chapter 20. Whoever finds it first in the blue books will let us know. 856. 857. If you have another version, you've got to find it on your own. Okay? So we're looking for chapter 20 in the book of Deuteronomy. 856? It's in the book. What did I say? Not Deuteronomy. I lied. I lied. No. In the book of Numbers. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry, it's in the book of, the book of Numbers, eight, page 8, it's continuous, so it doesn't matter. Sorry, it's in the book of Numbers, I lied. No, I didn't lie. I, made, I said it right the first time and I got mixed up the second time. Okay. Okay, now, before we get into our Torah portion, we need to figure out where we are. Where we, the Jewish people, are at this point in the story, okay? So we're in the book of Numbers, not Deuteronomy, thank you. Uh, we're in the book of Numbers, and the book of Numbers is pretty much talks about the Jews for, during their time in the desert, okay? Now, if we were to more accurately re-subtitle the book, um, it would be called Jews in Transition. <laughs> it's true, because officially it covers 40 years, but the first couple of Torah portions talk about the Jews in the first about two years when they leave Egypt, as they're trying to figure out how do you go from a nation of slaves to nation of people, free people who serve God, okay? And then uh, last week, oh, wait a second, I have the wrong parsha. I gave you guys the wrong parsha. Ha! Okay, in America, they're doing chukas, that's 20. Balak starts from, sorry, chapter 22, verse 2, I lied. And I really made a mistake. <laughs> We're doing parsha's Balak, 857. It's still 857, I gave you the wrong, the wrong chapter, Okay. Last week's Torah portion, and that's why it is relevant, last week's Torah portion, Chukas, jumps to the end of the time that the Jews are in the desert. It goes, if, in biblical years, in creation years, the Jews leave Egypt in the year 2448 from creation, and this is 40 years later, so this is 2488. They're at the banks on the, on the other side of the Jordan River, and everything, right now, that's where the story's taking place. The story's taking place as the Jews are trying to come in to the land of Israel. They're trying to get entry. So last week's Torah portion, which dealt with the beginning of them, how do we get into the land of Israel? How do we get into the land of Israel? Okay, so if this is the land of Israel, they're trying to get into it. 
They've been coming from Egypt. They've been sort of doing the desert situation, right? And now they're trying to come in. They're trying to say, how do we get it? And so last week's Torah portion, what happened was there were two major nations sitting on the border. One was up there and one was over here. And the Jews said, can we please, please, please go buy? We'll buy. I went to, to Amon and got all I got was this lousy t-shirt from you. We won't take, we have our mana, we have our water, we're not gonna use any of our own stuff. We'll buy from you, it'll be good for your economy. And they said, no, you cannot pass. You cannot come through. And then they went to the other people and they said, can we pass through yours? And they're like, no, you cannot. And not only did they say, no, you cannot, they're like, and we're gonna come fight you so you don't come through. And so they gathered all their people, they went to fight the Jewish people, and guess what happened? Shocking for everybody involved was? We lived. Not only we lived, <laughs> we won. We won. The Jews won. They conquered all this territory over here. And later on, in the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to have the tribes of God and Manasseh who are going to say, can we stay on that side of the river? We don't want to go into Israel proper. That's a different story for another time. But this is kind of where... They are now. So now our story, our Parsha, is going to pick up after that debacle where essentially two massive countries that were protectors of everybody in the neighborhood, they got wiped out. And the, the next nation lined up, which is Moab, were like, oh, the Jews are coming, the Jews are coming, please, what are we going to do? That's really where our Parsha starts. So questions? So, yeah. so we're in... In Israel? No, 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 no. We're on the other side of the Jordan. We're still in the desert. We're trying to figure out how to get into the desert, how to get into the land of Israel. It's really not going to take us till the end of the next book. Like we're not, it's not going to happen so fast. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the whole next book, like I said, if this book, if the book of numbers covers 40 years, it really doesn't. It really gives us information. The book ends because the time that the Jews were in the desert, like in the groove, that was good. We don't hear about that because, and this is the other part of the introduction that I wanted to give you, which I forgot, but I just reminded myself, is that Torah comes the root word of hora'ah, of lesson. That means we're supposed to learn something. This isn't just an ancient text that's like, oh, that was so, so interesting and so cool. If it doesn't speak to me today in 2023, then I missed the point and I got to look deeper. So when, so in the question of what can we learn, we have nothing to learn from people who are in a good groove. Like when everything's lined up, you know, our physical health, our emotional health, our spiritual health, like it's all lined up properly and we know how to like be good people in that space and serve God in that space, no brainer. But what do we do when we are in transition? What do we do when we are in a place of uncertainty? That's where we need to learn from. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the stories and we want to say, what do we walk away with? How does this talk to me today? Because... Like, so that's why the Torah doesn't actually give us those middle 37, 38 years because we all know how to be good when everything's lined up together. Question. So you're saying this is, they knew they had to be uh, wandering for 40 years and this is toward the end of the 40 years where they're like, all right, we're gonna, it's like anything. They're coming to In last week's Torah portion, yeah. Aaron passes away. Okay. Miriam passes away. They're literally at the border of the land of Israel, trying to figure out how do we get in, how do we cross over. The next book, Deuteronomy, is going to be, mo how do you say Moses, belonging to Moses without sounding like a crazy Moses. person? Right? You sound a little crazy when you say that, right? Next, <laughs> the next book is going to be mo Moses' swan song to the Jewish people, and it's going to really be, take place over a very short period of time. But our book, even though it's officially 40 years, it isn't 40 years, but right now we are literally at the end of that 40-year period. We're in the year 2488, and they're like, how do we get in the land of Israel? How do we get in the land of Israel? How do we do that? 
Okay, so that's really where our book is picking up. This is where our Parsha, our Torah portion this week is picking up. Question? Yeah. Is, so what we're talking about is like a story. So is that like considered Agadah? Okay, so in Torah, everything, we don't, we, you have certain things that are, that are flat out laws. Right? You should keep the Shabbos, which is not so clear anyway, but, or you should wear tefillin, or you should, all these kind of mitzvahs that we have in the Torah. And then we have a lot of the Torah stories. Now, Torah, shocking but true, is not a storybook. It has, and, and, and the trick is, when we think we understand it, can we still look at the layers? Because there is a story that happened. There's a, there's a plain old story, maybe super fascinating, maybe not so fascinating, whatever it is. There's a story that goes on all through Torah. But Torah is not just about the story. It's always about the layers and the lessons and what do we walk away with. So this is a story, but it's not like Agada is more in the Talmud. We have places in the Talmud that are considered Agada, which is just stories or stories that we don't understand and we have to figure out what we learn from them. But they're different than Halakha, places that they're clearly telling you how to live your life. So in Torah, in the five books of Moses, we don't have that distinction so much of what's Agadah and what's Halakha. It's more in, like, in the future writings. Okay? Questions? Comments? <coughs> Easy. Uh, we can, can we, yeah? We're going to move forward a little bit? Okay. So our story, the name of our, por- our Torah portion is Balak. Balak is not a good person. Okay? Um, he is a king. If you, let's look inside. If you look inside with me, chapter 22, verse 2. So Balak, the king of the Balak, the son of Tipur, sees everything that the Jewish people did to the Amorites. Okay, and then the people get and, the, and then the people get afraid. So Moab, the country that he is the king of, they all become very nervous. Okay, um, we're not going to go word word by word through the through the text because we're never going to get through any place, and we have a lot of things we need to discuss. But okay, Wait, so he's the king of Moab. He's the king of Moab. Is okay. Moab one of those? Moab is, no, they, no, this is the third country, okay? Now, little parentheses, the, the Moabites are distant cousins to the Jewish people, and they actually, the Jewish people do not have permission to fight the Moabites, okay? And yet, the Moabites are still very nervous, even knowing that, they're like, ah, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, right? So I'm just putting that little end thing. So basically, Balak, who's, a new-ish kind of king. Well, if you look through the text, you'll see that he becomes the king there. He is, uh, he's very nervous. He does not like what he's seeing. There's a lot, large, large group of people coming. They seem to be unstoppable. And he's like, we got to do something about this or we're going to all die. Like they're just run over our territory and it's not going to be good for us. So he comes up with a great plan. What is his plan? He goes to the elders of Midian, which is another country. It's in verse 4. And he says to them, let us together go, uh, let's send emissaries, if you move with me to verse 5, we're going to send emissaries to Bilam, Bilam the son of Peor, and let, now Bilam is an interesting, everybody's very interesting characters, but Bilam's very interesting, because Bilam is, the Talmud tells us, and the Medrash highlights it even further, that Bilam is a prophet, he's a sorcerer. Um, of high, the highest, highest order. In fact, the Medrash tells us that, the, that God gave Bilaam as a prophet to the nations of the world mm-hmm. so that they could never say, well, if we had a Moses, we'd have done good stuff. Give us a prophet like Moses and everything would have been fine. Bilaam is, according to the Medrash, is even greater in some areas than Moses. And instead of being 
leading the people to be good and just and, and whatever, he, he's going to sort of help them break down all kinds of boundaries, which we'll see at the end of the Torah portion. Bilaam, in our, in, our, in our story here, is essentially a, like a gun for hire. Okay, he'll, he'll curse anybody. And one of the reasons the Torah tells us that Balak knew that Bilaam was a successful cursorer, I don't know what the real word for that is, right? he curses people and it really works, um, is because Bilaam had, had cursed his country in the last war. So like there's a whole back-end geopolitical stuff going on over there. So he knows that there's a person to speak to. Anyway, they go down and uh, they send a delegation to Bilaam. By the way, in the line of true confessions, I always get mixed up between Bilaam and Bullock. Yeah, you have two characters. Yeah. You have two characters. Yeah. They both start with a bit. They both have a llama. Like That's so confusing. That's yeah. just like so not fair. Uh-huh. Bullock is the king and Bilaam is the sorcerer. And Bullock, they're both in the, they're both Moabites? No, oh. no, 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 no. Bilaam is like, he's like a gun for hire. He's all over the place. In Stop fact, it. in fact, if you take a look. King, King, King. Oh, not that's a good one. Yes, yes, Ruth comes. No, Ruth, not her no, husband. Okay. Ruth, Ruth is from the Moabites. Okay. She's a Moabite. She's, she's a descendant of Bullock. Okay. Okay, so just to like. Okay, take a look a second. We're going to look at Bill okay. up for a second. I'll write it in English because it's going to make more. Yeah. Okay? In Hebrew, here's Bill up. Okay? If you what if you make his no, not you make if you divide his name into two words, you have Bilaam. He's a person with no nation. Okay? Bilaam is literally anybody who gives him money, he's theirs. He's so easily for sale, it's like not even funny. And it's even embedded in his name, this place of like, who's gonna pay me? Um, and so instead again, instead of him like sort of raising the people to a moral high ground, he's like I'll curse you, I'll curse you, I'll curse you. Like, whoever you want. You've got enough money, you can hire me, you can you pay for me, pay for it. This is great. We're going to go for it. So the people come, the first delegation comes to Bilaam, and they say, we'd like to hire you to curse the Jewish people. They're coming out of Israel, and we're out of Egypt, sorry. They're headed in our direction. We're really nervous. And he's like, spend the night here. Let's see what God has to say, which makes him sound like a really sweet guy. Like, got to listen to God, right? So at night, God comes to Bilaam in a dream, and he says, who are these people with you? And he's like... So he says that the king came to hire me to curse the Jewish people. And God says to him in verse 12, Hashem says to Bilaam, Lo telech imahem, do not go with them. Lo ta'ar ta'am, do not try to curse this nation, ki because it is a blessed nation. You're barking up the wrong tree. In the morning, Bilaam sort of presents it as, Sorry, God doesn't let me go, but he sort of phrases it in a way that leads the people to think like, I don't want, I'm not going to go with you, but if you can give me more impressive people and give me some more money, I'll try to finagle it. Anyway, they go back and forth. Some of the people leave right away. A delegation comes back. Again, he says, stay overnight. And God's like, listen, it's a bad idea. You're only going to be able to say whatever I tell you to say, but you want to go with them, go with them, you know? which is one of the things we talk about in the question of free will. God, you know, we're like, why did God let him do this? God doesn't stop us in the choices that we want to make. We, we get to, we have information, and then we're like, okay, now you make your choices. So, like, if, 
you know, we're like, this is such a terrible idea. Why did he let him go? Because that's how free will works. We get to exercise our free will, even when God knows we're making a really disastrous decision. But, you know, but here, you want to go? Go. But just, he said, God, God prefaces and says to him, just remember, just remember, you can only say what I tell you to say. And Bilaam, in the back of his mind, tells us, tells himself, I might be able to work around this. Okay, so they go in the morning. Yeah. Um, is, is Bilaam Jewish? No. How is he talking to God then? So, so it's an interesting thing. There, there's a whole conversation in the, in the you know, in the, in the, in the sages about, um, about prophecy and what are the qualifications of prophecy. And usually, and this is the case, usually a prophet needs to actually be a very well-balanced, um, adjusted, healthy kind of person. They need to be intellectually smart, and they need to be wealthy, and they need to be healthy, and they need to, all these kind of things that they need to have. Usually those are the qualifications. Doesn't say they have to be Jewish. Oh, okay. Doesn't say they have to be Jewish. Um, it, it's more unusual having, uh, have, maybe having a, a non-Jewish prophet, but we do... You know, they're definitely, if you can fulfill all the, you know, if you could be an upstanding person, whether you're not Jewish, it's, it's not that prophecy is close to you. The, the interesting thing about Bilam specifically is like he's none of these things. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's not morally upright. He's, he is very smart. He is very smart. But he's like, all the other stuff seems to like be very lacking in him. And so that's why the sages wonder like, why? Why Bilam? Why Bilam? And part of the conversation that they say is like, that they talk about is that, God's like, we're going we're gonna to make one person, one non-Jewish prophet, so amazing, and let's see what happens. Let's see, let's see what he does with it. Like, he want, the, the sages take the tack very much. It wasn't that he had earned this space, but that God was giving it to him because for balance. We need to have, there has to be a certain amount of balance, and for whatever reason, he was picked as the, as the exhibit A. Okay. Okay? So they go, they start going. And I want to look, let's look inside. Um, and the, it's the third Torah reading. It starts from chapter 22, verse 21, that Bilaam gets up in the morning. Um, and somebody who has from verse 22, okay, from verse 22, Michaela, read. Um, I have the good one, but. So just give me, so just give me. I just want text. I don't okay. want, I don't want, can, can you pick out the non-embedded? Uh, yeah. Um, God was angry. This is from verse 22. Yeah. God was angry that he was going, and so God's angel was placed on the road to obstruct him. He was riding on, the, on his donkey, and his two lads were with him. The donkey saw God's angel standing on the road with a sword drawn in his hand, so the donkey turned aside from the road and went, went into a, fi- a field. Balaam beat the donkey to get it back onto the road. God's angel stood in a path through the vineyards with a wall on one side and a wall on the other side. The donkey saw God's angel and it pushed itself against the wall. It pressed the lamb's leg against the wall and he beat it again. God's angel went further ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn right or left. The donkey saw God's angel and it crouched down under Bilam. Bilam became angry and he beat the donkey with a stick. God opened the donkey's mouth and said, and it said to Bilam, "What have I done to you that you made me that you made me that made you hit me these three times?" Bilam said to the donkey, "It's because you're you've embarrassed me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now." The donkey said to Bilam, "Aren't I your donkey on which you have ridden since you first started until today? Do I normally do this to you?" "No," he said. 
God opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw God's angel standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand. He bowed and prostrated himself on his face. Okay. We're gonna, they're gonna, there's going to be a continued conversation, but this is, like, in those kind of, like, huh, stories in the Torah, we have to stop here for a second and, 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 and look at this a little bit. Um, oh, spoiler. Bilaam is going to go, he's going to continue to go, and instead of cursing the Jewish people, he's actually going to bless them three different times, okay? So I'm just telling you, in case you thought he, this was going to work out well for him, it really was going to work out well for him. But I want to stop. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to stop here for a second. Um, there's a conversation if this is a... Con- Another one? Okay. <laughs> Stop. Um, uh, there's a conversation amongst the sages if this is... Like, was this a real conversation? Or is this... Maimonides definitely feels that this is a prophecy that Bilam got, feeling that it was... That he was hearing the donkey speak. There's a whole conversation if he did or did not... If, if she, if the donkey did or did not, in fact, actually speak. But I want to stop for a second because I think it's just fascinating having talking animals. It's like a Disney movie. Yeah. <laughs> donkey, like donkey kind of like a truck. Right. It's like, right? It's like, it's like, it kind of feels like, like we've seen this yeah. in recent history, but not really in, in, in past history. And what's very interesting is that in the Torah, in the Bible, we actually have two animals that speak. Who's the other animal that speaks? Snake. Snake. Remember the snake? Remember the snake? In the Garden of Eden. Snake in the Garden of Eden says to Eve, you know, you know about eating from this tree of knowledge. They're not, she says, he's like, what are you allowed to eat? She's like, all of them except this tree, the tree of life. And, they, and he's like, oh, but you could be like God and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this whole conversation with Eve saying, like, why did God not want you? God just doesn't want you to be like him. And that's why he's telling you not to eat from these trees. Really, nothing's going to happen if you eat from these trees. And so, we, so there's, a, there's a, a lot of conversation, but I want to focus on one specific conversation um, taken, from the teaching, taken from the teachings of Rabbi Ginsburg, where he talks a lot about the difference between the snake and the donkey and what their conversation, not so much what, the, yes, what their conversations are, but again, what, how does it talk to me and what does it mean to me? So the snake is essentially telling it's essentially telling Eve, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. By the way, if you get those envelopes in your, in your mail, you know, you can win a million dollars. Don't, okay? Don't. Just don't, okay? But the snake is saying to, is saying to Eve, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Grab it. You could be like God. It's like, it would be amazing for you, and God's just holding you back, but it's really an awesome opportunity. What's the donkey saying? What are you going to do? Yeah. What's our history? What is, what, 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 what? Look at our history together. Have I ever not been loyal to you? Have I ever not helped you? Why are you hitting me? Like, let's have a conversation, right? Which is very interesting because the donkey is coming and saying, there are rules of nature and I have always followed the rules of nature. I've always been a loyal donkey to you and therefore you should say, huh, why is my donkey acting irrationally? Maybe something's going on, right? We've had this, like, what about it? What are you suddenly smacking me for? Like, where did that come from, right? Um, and, and parenthetically, isn't it interesting that the donkey speaking is saying nature is always, you know, inflappable. Nature is always the same. Hello, we only know t- talking donkeys, like I said, from Disney. But this was like assuming that we go with a, a train of thought that the, it actually happened that's not normal. That's not natural. That's not, you know, so he's, 
the donkey's coming and saying, what about this is, 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 in our history has shown this to be true. And essentially, what Rabbi Ginsburg postulates is that in our service of God, there are two things, two voices that come up to us that say, do you really want to have this relationship with God? Right? One of those opportunities, one, one, one of those voices is the snake that's like, oh, but it would be so nice if you were to do whatever. Do you really want to, but taste this. This would be amazing. This is such an amazing opportunity. You will never come back again. You just want to, just this one time. And that's a voice that we, I think, often hear in our head of saying, oh, do you want to be, or do you want to like, go, have this opportunity. It's going to be amazing for you. And it's going to be life-changing for you. That's one voice. And that's a snake voice that comes to us that says, just this once. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You really want to grab this opportunity now. You don't want to let it go because it's going to be gone and somebody else is going to you know, win the lottery and you're not, going to, you know, you're not going to benefit. That's one voice. And the other voice is the natural voice that says nature is always right. This is, does not fit into the laws of nature and this does not fit into how we know the world to run and we, do, we know... We, it doesn't fit in with the paradigms of everything that we've already known. And one of the things that I think in the, in the, the walkaways for us, to a certain degree, is that place of, you know, I'll, 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 tell, you, I'll tell it to you with a story. He once had a student in, at the men's program, and I forgot his name, and my husband knows his name, and I can, t- I can check it for you. And he went to West Point. And one of the things they do in West Point is that they study military wars in order to learn how to fight war, right? It's a military school, and they learn how to fight wars through wars. And he once went to his professor, and he's like, I don't want to, like, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, I don't want to call you an anti-Semite or anything, but you never teach any of Israel's wars in, in the wars. Like, what's up with that? And the professor told him, I can only teach things that are replicable. I cannot teach miracles. Wow. And one of the things that we know as as a people today, is that our very natural existence is not so natural. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's been so many things thrown at us over the years. The fact that we exist today, that we're sitting around, and, you know, looking at text, looking at Torah, trying to figure out what our relationship with God looks like, is not natural. It is not, I don't say it's not normal because it's really not normal, but it, there's, there's something miraculous about our daily existence. And when we have either of those voices saying, oh, it's just this once, oh, the, or this voice that's like, you need to just follow the rules, we have to understand that none of those, or neither of those, in, are actually 100% accurate with us. Like, parts of them are true, and there are times that we have to do things that are, you know, do grab this and do this now, and sometimes we have to, like, follow laws of nature, but th- those, neither of those are inviolate rules, um, I feel like I'm, yeah, like they're, they're just, they're, they're taken as a suggestion, but it isn't for sure etched in stone. So that's the first thing that I wanted to, to speak to us as we hear about talking animals in the Torah, just to sort of highlight like the voices in our head, our animal soul that speaks to us, speaks in many voices, and we need to be able to hear what they're saying and saying, is this really the best thing for me or is it not the best thing for me? Yulia, you had a question. Oh, no, I was just saying like, it's so crazy that we get to like walk around and scream like I'm a Jew and I'm proud and like not get killed. And like, yeah. it's just, like you know, yeah. like, 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 
like, I, I don't know, my Jewish community back home, we're always like, we always talk about that. We're just so grateful that we get to be so Jewish and loud and proud without like having to like look behind Without us. getting lynched. Yeah. 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 And that's just how it is. It's a good thing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It, it is, it is in fact a miracle. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. Is there, uh, talks about difference between the fact that the snake comes out of nowhere, I think, and I think this is how it goes, and basically says what he says versus the donkey's really responding. Right. Well, two things. Um, one of the things that they talk about is that the donkey the, is prefaced with Hashem opens up the mouth of the donkey. By Yiftach Hashem as is the end is the introduction to what the donkey has to say, which means that there's something maybe less natural or commonplace about that. The, the snake speaking, there's no introduction, and it seems like they're having this conversation, and there seems, and, and what, it, what they touch on in the, in the sources is that it seems that that is much more, it was, it was not unusual, it wasn't so unusual for that to be happening in that, time, in that time. Remember, it was in the Garden of Eden before they got expelled. We don't actually know what was going on over there, so maybe it was something that was more common, and still, if we were to take it back a step, maybe that thought process is also more common to us. That place of like, it's a golden opportunity, it's an amazing chance for you to step into this right now, right here, right now, maybe that's something also that's a little bit more common that we hear. It's something that's more, yeah, exactly. It's the mantra that we hear very often as opposed to like being super rational and blah, blah, blah. That maybe is a little, takes a little bit more unwrapping to, to see that. There's that conversation. There's, there's more conversation, but I just want to start with one thing. Okay, so then, okay, so then Hashem opens Bilam's eyes. He sees what's going on over here and, 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 he, and he says, um, and, the, and the angel says to him like, you know, why'd you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then Bilam says, Chatasi, I, I, I sinned. I made him, you know, which is also an interesting thing. Like, you didn't see the angel. Why did you sin if you didn't see the angel? Like, what is, how could, it, how could we say, how could he be saying, I sinned, when, he, the, when the angel's like, I can't believe, blah, blah, why'd you do this, blah, 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 right? That's not actually what the angel said. You could look inside and see what the angel said to him. And he says, and I sinned. And, the, and, and one of the things that I've seen in like some of the more, co- the more modern literature is the place of like somebody who's a communal leader, you need to have your eyes open. You can't say, oh, I didn't know. If you would have opened your eyes, maybe you would have seen it. Maybe, maybe he didn't actually, correct. Right now, Torah is telling us he didn't see the angel. He didn't see that. But as a communal leader, where's that place that we're supposed to have our eyes open for what's going on with the people around us and see, is there somebody who's in distress? Is there somebody who's sort of off their norm? And I want to say it's not just about, they talk about for communities, but I think it's actually true for any of us who have people in our sphere of influence, whether they're peers, children, um, students, whatever, like, it's so easy for us to say, oh, but I didn't know. It's a little bit of a cop-out. It's a little bit sometimes of a cop-out of saying, oh, I didn't know. If I would have opened my eyes a little bit, not been so wrapped up in my little thing, maybe I would have known and said, oh, somebody's suffering and I should maybe step in, see if I could get some help, help, some, help them find some resources. Maybe I don't have the answer, but like, if I'm noticing this, then maybe there's something that I should be able to do about it. So I'm not trying to depress everybody, but there. That's my, uh, my two cents on the subject. Um, so, uh, 
so they keep going, they keep going, and, and the angels, they have this conversation, Bilam and the angel, and he says that, um, and the angel reminds him again, you can only say whatever God wants you to say. Okay, so they go, um, and there's going to be three times, they're going to have, they're going to, they're going to meet up, and they're going to, they're going to see, they're going to see what's happening. So if you take a look in chapter 22, verse 39, um, they're going to go to a place, oh, sorry, beginning of chapter 23, and he says, uh, Bilam says to Bullock, and now try to say that five times, you know, quickly. Bilam says to Bullock, says, build me all these altars, and he's going to attempt to curse the people. Now, one of the things that the sages talk about is that Bilam had the ability to... There's a difference between, uh, the, between divination and prophecy. I mean, to us, it's all science fiction. But there's, in, there's really, there really are these powers. And divination is the ability to, to see where something is auspicious or not auspicious. And one of the things that, Bill, that Bullock had the ability to do was to find places or spaces that had like, I mean, in my, my daughter's in science fiction, like this smudge of negativity on it and, and sort of exploit it. So he takes them to places where he sees that in the future the Jewish people are going to sin or going to be punished. So there's like, there's something going on here. Like, it's not totally clean and clear. And I, I'm very rational. And I, as I'm saying it, I'm kind of like sounding skeptical to myself. But it's really, it's really a real thing. If you're able to be sensitive enough to see what's going on, I don't know if like with, with all the pollution that's going on today, if we could actually pick out like spiritual smudge you know, in a situation, but, but back in the day, there was that, it was absolutely an ability that people had, and you could read what was going on, so he says, okay, um, go, he's gonna, so he's gonna go, now, I wanna, uh, so they go, so they go to this place, and in verse, chapter 23, verse, verse 4, we have the introduction, they're not there, we have the introduction that Hashem meets Bilam, and the word in Hebrew that's used is a word that is vayikar, Vayikar, and he met him, and he sort of bumped into him. He, you know, he, he, how does it, what do they say in English? Verse four? He and he happened upon, he happened upon Bilaam, and he start, and he starts giving him the prophecy. Now I want to pause for a second, and I want to contrast this with, anybody know what the third book of the Torah is called? In English or in Hebrew, what? In Hebrew it's called Vayikra, and in English it's called? Leviticus, Leviticus right? It's called Leviticus. The word Vayikra in Hebrew means, and he called. Okay? So it's the same word that we have here with an olive at the end. Over here we have Vayikar. And Vayikar is, and Rashi highlights it, Vayikar is happenstance. You know, when you bump into somebody in the shuk, you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in so long. I, I was just thinking about you, right? That's Vayikar. Vayikra is when you actually take your surprise out when you pick up the phone and you call somebody and you say, hey, I was thinking about you and I wanted to talk to you, that's Vayikra, that's purposeful calling. The way Hashem interacts with Balaam, with Bilam, after all of that, it's still sort of this like, eh, you know, we're having this conversation, uh, sort of happenstance, it's not, you know, whatever. So he goes and he tells him, he, he, he gives him this first thing, um, he, he, and he, and he, speak, he, bleh. I'm tripping over my words. And he gives us a first prophecy, and it basically says, if anybody wants to read us the first prophecy, it's in chapter 23 from verse 7. Somebody have it? We're going to get somebody else. 
Leah, verse 7. I'm not, oh, he, he declaimed? From verse 7, yeah. He declaimed his parable and said, From Aram, Balak, king of Moab, led me from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me. Come bring anger upon Israel. How can I curse? God has not cursed. How can I anger? Hashem is not angry. For from its origins, I see it rock-like, and from hills do I see it. Behold, it is a nation that will dwell in solitude and not be reckoned among the nations. Uh, keep going. Okay. Who has counted the dust of Jacob, or numbered a quarter of Israel? May my soul die the death of the upright, and may my end be like his. And Balak is not impressed. He's like, dude, that is not a curse. I'm not a break to you. That is not a, that is not a curse. So you're basically saying... Uh, these are uncursable people. These are, you know, beautiful people, and they, I can't curse them. Like, how helpful was that? No. So they're going to go try again. They're going to go try again, um, and and they're going to have another one. They go to these fields, and over there he t- again has this conversation with Hashem, and um, he says to him, um, uh, it's in verse 23, verse 19, and 20, 21, and again, he's saying that Hashem sees no inequity in the Jewish people. He doesn't see any tra- uh, travails in, the, in, in Israel. This is like not cursed stuff. I don't know how to break it to you. This is not cursed stuff, okay? And then, um, and then, he, and then he, he's going to try a third time. And the third time, he's going to say, a, he's going to actually give a, a blessing that we say every morning in our prayers, Okay. What does he say to him? In chapter 24, verse 5. Right? If anybody remembers that song, it's the beginning of our prayers. And that we get from Bilaam. From Bilaam. Okay? Um, how beautiful are your tents? Your, your dwelling is, is, is private. Each family on their own. Um, and he goes on to very, very beautiful prayers. And after that, Paul is like, you're fired. Go away. You're fired. So he fires him. And as he walks away, so he's leaving. And as he walks away, he again gets a spontaneous prophecy. And in that prophecy, he talks about, um, it's in chapter 24, verse 15 and 16 and 17. And he basically gives prophecy about the end of days. What will happen when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes? What will happen? What happens to the Jewish people? What happens to all the nations of the world? He literally goes through everybody and he's like gives her, he gives her, and you know, spoiler right here. What's happening? What's happening when Mashiach comes? And then he, and then he continues going. Now, the Torah doesn't tell us, doesn't tell us this here, but it does tell us in another place in, in, at, towards the end of the Parsha. Before Bilaam leaves, um, and it's interesting because Bilaam like really has no skin in the game. Like his Bullock, we understand he's nervous, but uh, Bilaam has no skin in the game. But before he leaves, Bilaam's like, "Listen, I'm going to give you one for free. The cursing situation didn't work out so well, but I'll tell you what their God absolutely despises, and their God absolutely despises immorality." And so he said to him, that's, not, that's almost as unclear as Bilam and Balak, right? So Bilam says to Balak, send your girls after their men and see what happens. And the end of our Parsha is in fact going to happen where they, we're going to, you know, we have the things. Uh, 
So it starts in chapter 25, and it sort of comes up as a spontaneous situation that the Jewish people were in Shittim. They'd been with Moses for 40 years. I, I, you need to like put this into perspective for a second, right? It's like a crazy situation going on over here. They're over there. They're, they're, it, it seems kind of spontaneous. Rashi there says that this was from the advice that Bilam gave. And, and essentially what Bilam said was every single... To basically send different... Le- I don't know if the word is levels, but different types of women after different types of men. So that the princess of the prin- the princess of of these of the of, Mo- of Midian came out. She was her job was she was looking for Moses. So like she ends up finding a prince within the within the tribes, and there's there's like there's stuff going on all over the camp, and it is it is wild. It is crazy what's going on over here, and a plague actually breaks out, and a plague because God's like, no, that's not happening, um, huh? What? 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 You were saying it was a sexually transmitted plague, or whatever. That's funny. That's funny. I think I think it was much more much more um, immediate than 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 a sexually transmitted something or another. (laughs) And so here, the end of our parsha. What's it? The end of our parsha. There is there's there's a massive plague going on. The end of our parsha tells us that. the end of our parsha spe- starts with the story of one of the princes of the tribes of Israel who was consorting. Isn't that a nice word? Consorting with the uh, princess from Midian, and everybody like doesn't know what to do with each other. They don't know what to do, and so he goes and he kills him, and the plague stops. And that is where our Torah portion ends, like very cliffhanger. And next week it's going to pick up the conversation of Pinchas again. Okay, that's that's a, that's look. We covered our whole parsha. I'm like so excited. We finished our parsha. Um, so that's, that's sort of the end of the Parsha. I want to pick up a couple of things that I want to talk. I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, first of all, I want to, if we look into the, into the text and we look at, at where, how this cursing situation works, almost every time, Bilaam is up on a mountain. He's on a mountain, he's overlooking the people, and... Um, As parents, I think one of the things that's very important to, to remember is that whenever we get too microscopic into anything, it's never going to look good. Sometimes we need to like take, put ourselves up on a mountain when we look at behavior around us and we need to sort of judge it with a little bit of distance and say, wait a second, what is the overall picture? Because honestly, even then, if you were to go into the camp of the Jewish people, it wasn't all so beautiful and wonderful and you know, hunky-dory. It wasn't like that. But there is a place where you step out, you step up, and you say, wait a second, what does this look like? A little bit from a distance, and then all of a sudden you have a whole different picture about what's going on over here. Um, and I think it's, it's important for ourselves, both in our relationship to ourselves and in our relationship to others, um, you know, we all know that whenever you've gone on a diet, they always tell you, don't weigh yourself every day, right? Like, that's just a bad idea. And maybe you won't do it anyway, well, it's a bad idea, right? We still have a bad idea, even if we do it. Um, when we, when we want to work on ourselves, we want to work on some of our character traits, we want to try to be more patient, we want to try to be less angry, we want to sort of watch the stuff that comes out of our mouth, it doesn't matter what it is. There has to be a space where we don't put ourselves under the microscope every single second, all day long, and say, how am I doing? 
That's not a good way to do it. That's not a healthy way to do it. Can we say, this is the direction I want to be moving in? And can I put myself on a mountain to look at my behavior sort of a little bit more an overall view of what's going on rather than, you know, 120, how am I doing? It's 130, how am I doing? Like that's just, that's just not healthy. So I know we all know that intellectually and I want to put that out there that it's actually beyond detrimental for us to do such a thing um, on, a, on a regular basis. We need to look at ourselves with kind eyes, even though Bill is actually known for having a bad eye, but um, that's his like main character trait over here. But uh, I think that we need, to, we need to cultivate that place of, of a good eye, of looking at ourselves and at other people generously and kindly and, and to be able to see the good that's in them. Because one of the things that we do know is that whatever we look for, we will find. Whatever we look for, we will find. We will find multiple examples of whatever it is that we're trying to, to whatever we're looking at. And so I want to give us a plug to, to look positively, to look at ourselves and look at the people around us positively, with love, with kindness, with forgiveness. You know, I tell my, I, I, I say all the time that we should, we should, Treat our children like the neighbor's children. And people are always horrified when I people are always horrified when I say that, right? Because if your child, for example, drops apple juice on a freshly washed floor, <laughs> you're not so calm. You're just not so calm. But if your neighbor's kid right? but if your neighbor's kid dropped apple juice on that same freshly washed floor, what would you say? It's okay, sweetie. How about if we clean this up together? Why can't we pull that out for our kids, right? We're so happy times. My kids were laughing at me. It, ha- it actually, true confessions happened to me recently. I was like freaking about, out about something over here. And then somebody walked, actually happened in class here. I was, we were like, something was going on. We were freaking out. And then somebody was like, hey, good morning. <laughs> They're like, that was weird. But, um, and I, it, you know, you're having a fight with somebody and your phone rings and you're like, hello, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to pull it out for the people nearest and dearest to us starting with ourselves, starting with ourselves. We need to change the stories that we tell ourselves in our head. They have to be kind. They have to be loving. They have to be forgiving. So I want to give us a blessing, all of us together. This is our first week we're starting to learn together. And, um, well, some of us. And, um, and I want to give us a blessing that, that we be open to hearing what God wants of me now and that we be open to being generous and kind and forgiving for ourselves and for the people around us. It's, it's a challenge. It's not easy. It's so much more, it's so much easier to be judgmental and snarky and it's so much nicer when we're not. So I want to give us a blessing that we are able to step into that space of kindness and goodness and love and that we should be able to learn together, grow together and be able to learn from each other because every single person is here for a reason and we bring so much to the table and that we should, you know, we should be able to see that our patience, our love, our kindness pays off. Have an awesome rest of the day.